I couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. He's saving the world, and he knows it's painful and horrific, but I think he really looks at it like, you know, we have a generation to save the world. You don't own me, I'm not your property, so take a shifty little bitty eye over me. I honestly don't know where he's going to go, but he is just an absolutely fascinating uh, creature to me. Welcome to Eyes on Gilead, our weekly podcast dedicated to The Handmaid's Tale. There is a lot going on in this show, and we think it helps to talk it out after every episode drops on SBS and at SBS On Demand. I'm Fiona Williams, and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV shows here at SBS, and I'm joined by my colleagues and fellow resistors, Sana Kadar of ABC Life. Hi. Hello. Natalie Hambly from SBS Life. Hi. Hello. And Haiti Island from SBS On Demand, but on a stint of maternity leave at the moment. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Kind <laughs> of on maternity leave, doing a little well, bit. <laughs> you can't stay <laughs> a away. A here and there. Yes. And also with a little cameo from little baby Greta. Yeah. Who's currently asleep. Currently but... <laughs> asleep. Very happy about that. Hope it stays that way. <laughs> we'll use our indoor voices. And we'll be joined by a special guest this episode. We'll be hearing from Bradley Whitford. Commander Lawrence is joining us this week. That is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so season three of The Handmaid's Tale is now well underway and in today's episode we're going to be going deep on episode three. Now if you haven't watched it you should go to SBS On Demand right now and we'll wait for you. Or if you choose to watch on television you can catch it on SBS on June 13 in a double episode with episode four. Praise be. Okay let's get into it. Episode three it sees June navigate a meeting where she must face both Commander Waterford... I hope you and Mrs Waterford are well. ..and Nick... I'm getting deployed to the front. Serena Joy attempts to recuperate at her mother's home... You want me to go back to Fred? I only want you to be happy. Doesn't have a lot of luck with that. And Lawrence teaches June a hard lesson about the difficult decisions he has to make as a commander. What do you think the penalty should be? What would be fair? And I feel so bad for him. Yeah, he's breaking my heart. <laughs> Poor Lawrence. We do learn a few things about him uh, this episode, don't we? Finally. Yes. Been so curious. Oh. Let's do a quick round the room. What stood out for each of us this episode? Sana. Ooh, that a journalist was part of the saved group of five women that uh, <laughs> June selected. I was like, oh, okay, great. Maybe I'd, I'd make the cut if, if I found myself in this dystopia. But yeah, that was pretty funny. And Natalie, what about you? For me, it was all the one-on-ones that June had. So she yeah. had one with Fred, had one with Serena, had one with Nick, had one with Lawrence. Mm. So good. <laughs> Very juicy. Yeah, a lot of catching up because a lot of loose ends at the end of episode two. Hayley, what stood out for you? I really liked the fire motive that was dotted throughout this episode, especially in the scenes where Serena and June featured. There were so many fantastic shots with fire just kind of in the background or reflected near either of them. And there was this particular shot where June is walking into the kitchen 
and in the foreground, the stove has flame coming up and it's sort of biting at her chin. It's, it's really beautiful. That's right at the start of the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. Well spotted. Um, and for me, well, I think it was all the detail we're getting about Lawrence. That was kind of juicy. And I just loved the glimpse at his bookshelf and <laughs> like all of the books are written by him. That's just yeah. so telling. Did you catch any of the names? Uh, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One was called Problematic Populism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Case for Relaunching the Mercantile Economy in Developing Nations. Yeah. yeah. It was, it, he was a very learned man. Yes, and doesn't he want everyone to know it? (laughs) (laughs) So where to start with this one? Opening shot, all the Marthas are strung up in the street, Mm -hmm. no doubt for the role they played in episode two's very dramatic ending. Someone got out, the Guardians were Mm -hmm. well onto it. Not well enough, actually. They (laughs) they didn't check downstairs at uh, Commander Lawrence's place. But, yeah, clearly there's a hunt they're trying to get. Uh, And I bet Cora's up there. Oh, yeah, maybe. Oh, that's depressing. (laughs) I know, it is a bit depressing. Hopefully a swift ending for her. Well, we know there's five, but June leaves that thinking that Cora's escaped, doesn't she? No, 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 it was the chemistry teacher that escaped. Oh, the chemistry teacher. Cora was sent away for lying too many times. Oh, oh. That's why I'm like, oh, I don't know. Maybe she is there. Because Lawrence isn't one for a salvaging as we find out in the meeting. He's one for sending the women to the colonies because they've got a dwindling labour force. I think Cora's gone to the colonies. Can we recap what's, what a salvaging is? Because the whole time oh. they're talking about it and I was like, what is a that's salvaging? Some, it's execution. That's execution. Okay, so that's yeah. just what they call the executions. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember that term, but all right, good. Because we see it in series one where they attempt to stone Janine and the Handmaid's Rebel. Uh, that that's was a, a salvaging. That's a salvaging, salvaging. isn't it? I think so, yeah. And we witness the salvaging of a man when the Handmaids have to stone him, mm-hmm. don't that's we? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All good times. Yeah, yeah, yeah fun though. times. <laughs> yeah. I do I do like the distinction that June makes between martyrs and heretics, mm-hmm. where all the women hung at the gallows are completely anonymous apart from their martyrs outfits because they're they're labelled heretics and they're not martyrs and we don't want like the mm-hmm. Gilead doesn't want them to be identified. Because there is no resistance offici- is. officially. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 No, that's that's a good distinction. And, of course, when she gets home, the Marthas are particularly worried, with good reason. Mm -hmm. Um, Beth, in particular, is all over the place. She's getting the sense that Lawrence is testing them and they realise they're all disposable. Mm -hmm. They feel like they have this cosy intimacy in the household, but no. Mm. (laughs) They've lost one. And And gained another. Yeah, we have a a newbie Martha in the house, Sienna, who strikes me as very green, very very fresh. <laughs> yeah, very nervous. And very nervous. Yeah, she's been I, say, I, think, I think she's almost like the counterpart to June in the sense of I think she's probably all of us and how nervous you would be <laughs> and you'd be walking on eggshells and you'd be worried about what does your commander think and am I serving tea correctly? <laughs> Whereas like June is not that person <laughs> yeah. at, at all. You know, so I think we sort of need someone in the house which is like all of us really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you do because yeah, you wouldn't know your place even though you've got the dress code to tell you what your place is. You can be doing your job and still be called out and could find yourself very quickly strung and, up in the street. And last week I um, mentioned that the Martha who ended up dead looked like a South Asian actress and I was mm. kind of thrilled about that. Well, I think this new one also looks South Asian, so yeah. another brown girl in the mix mm. for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get the feeling we'll see a bit more of Sienna. Yeah, I think I mean, she's called out again by name at the end from June with as optimistic as one can get in Gilead, sort of a we've survived another day. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that's kind of the best you can get. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think we'll be saying a bit more of Sienna. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed. Yeah. And uh, interesting that Lawrence has been so accepting of women into his household who are clearly involved in the resistance. Like he takes June in, knowing that she's involved. Mm-hmm. You know, Cora is quite clearly involved until he sends her away. 
and Sienna seems quite. I don't know. It's we don't know where she stands. We don't really yet. know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it'd be interesting to see if he's, you know, gone for someone who well, may be involved. Well, he or... clearly has a backstory on everybody. You know, like yeah. he has all the he has his binders full of women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he knows what her backstory is, yeah. and I feel like no one is in that house accidentally. Yeah. You know? So yeah. why so is she there? Why is she there? Yeah. I also wondered: is she also not at all associated? Because I mean, he did have the guardians at the front door last week. Like maybe he's playing it safe it's with <laughs> the next intake of Martha's, just to let things cool a little bit. Don't know. We'll find out. And something I was reminded of uh, when we saw the recap at the start of this episode was who Beth was, which Mm. I'd completely forgotten about. In series one, she is affiliated with Jezebel's and we have those scenes between her and Nick where it's established that they were in a relationship in the past before June came along Mm. and that she is also affiliated with the underground and with Jezebel's at that point. So she's made her way to Lawrence's house from there. And mm. I completely, completely oh forgot about that backstory. Yeah. yeah. So her and Nick were together? Well, yeah. When he knocks at the door, she thinks she's That's right. I, so I didn't, I didn't catch any of that. Yeah. Oh, right. I so thought you'd be right on that. <laughs> I was like, why wouldn't he be here for you? <laughs> Not at all. Oh, my gosh. Okay, right. Yeah. That happened yeah. in season one? Yeah. I'll have to go back and watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, layer upon layer of this yeah. one. So coming home at the start there, uh, June does say, If I'm going to survive this, I'll need allies. Allies Allies with power. power. And it's a bit of a misdirect because you do think she's going to be talking about Lawrence and she thinks she's talking about Lawrence too, I think. And then her efforts to come into his confidence, shall we say, fall very flat. He sees right through it. (laughs) I I thought she was always talking about Serena because I remember from the season teasers, Mm. um, this whole monologue was there. So I I was already anticipating, you know, she's thinking Serena is her her ally here. Yeah, she's going home thinking she can use her wiles. (laughs) (laughs) She very successfully goes on Fred. Yeah. I love love the line that he throws at her about Fred not being... He's not an intellectual giant. Not being an intellectual giant. (laughs) I was like, he's got that right. (laughs) (laughs) Too easily distracted. Yeah, yeah. I did like also when June and Fred do have the reunion and Lawrence comes in. Mm-hmm. Are you at work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. on what? Working hard. Yeah, working like, hard. Yes, at what? <laughs> but that whole, like, I loved all of that. Like, for yeah. me, that was such a highlight. Like, I like how they set it up so that Commander Lawrence doesn't like to leave his house for meetings. Yeah. He just hates commuting. So everyone has to come to him, which shows his power because they all do come to him. Mm. But then it was such a great device to get Fred in the room and Nick in the room and June got to have moments with both of them. She also got to be absolutely shamed for being a woman as well, Mm. just to really infuriate all of us, you know, just to (laughs) remind us how crap Gilead is. But I think for me, it was like harking back to like season two, like my favourite episodes were always when they had all the personalities in the house and they were all playing off each other. Yeah. And so to have her and Fred just sort of walking around that table so deliberately as well, it just felt so strategic. Loved Mm. it. And then like Commander Lawrence walks in, he's noticing everything. June and Nick have like a glance across the room. Commander Lawrence notices that as well. Mm. And I'm like, oh, what's going to happen here? <laughs> and yeah. Nick is now a commander. Yeah. I was going to say, was, Nick he is was, a commander. He was the shittest eye ever. Like, Fred was always seeing him making <laughs> eyes at June. How did he get promoted to, to commander? I was quite surprised by that. I guess he kind of only really had two options, maybe, because Nick has seen too much and he knows too much. So Fred's got to play yeah. that. So he either kills Nick or promotes Nick. So mm-hmm. and again, your likes- enemies close. Mm. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, that was a shock. Yeah. <laughs> Who's his wife? Yeah. Well, he is a widow. It's very 
not long since I'm sure uh, the they passing would find of Eden. A second wife <laughs> yeah. very swiftly, but anyway. Uh, yeah, he also, was in flux of women coming from Chicago, but they're not the marrying kind in mm. the eyes of the gents of Gilead. <laughs> yeah. And uh, will he need a handmaid? Mm-hmm. Oh, hello. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Could that, this work out actually well for Jim? You're so right, though. Of course. That's naturally how that goes. Oh, well, I guess only if you have a existing wife who's not fertile. I guess if you're in Gilead and you're a single commander, you, you might get assigned another, you know, another Eden, another Are any young, wives fertile. Yeah. fertile. I, well, there, we did meet the one commander last year who said that his wife was had uh, conceived naturally. Yes, yeah. right. Okay. You haven't met and them again yet. And he got the promotion for it. Yes, yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So messed up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God. Speaking of job movements, Fred's being demoted. <laughs> yes, that was great. Excellent news. <laughs> Do we know in what way? Not really, just Not lesser really. commander. Lesser commander and also getting cheap shots when all the commanders get together. The, um, mm-hmm. the little dig of uh, we can't have our women. Yeah. Uh, getting, yeah. Get, getting bored or restless or getting, something. We can't have our women getting restless. <laughs> Can we, Fred? Was the implication <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which was very nicely landed. Well, one thing from that scene when they're all... um. In that living room, talking and being horrible to June, Lawrence obviously asks her. You know, she, she was a book editor, and when he's finally getting her to get that Darwin book off the bookshelf, he's like, "The one on the left with the yellow lettering." Like, mm. he's he's still, you know, not giving the words. <laughs> like, he's she's obviously getting a book off the shelf, but he's still signifying it in terms of its shape and its color. Yeah, silly. I thought he was kind of giving her a free pass there because women aren't allowed to read. And she'd need to read to mm-hmm. select yeah. the book off the shelf. So he's telling her visually which book mm, to get so she true, doesn't actually. read in front of the other commanders. But he's clearly also directing it to that shelf just so she sees yeah. his, you know, his publications, his, his yeah. pre-Gileadian publications. And he also actually directed her into the room because he sent out that new Martha because mm-hmm. she wasn't pouring yeah. fast enough. And I thought it was really strategic that he did that and, and said uh, he wants June instead because I think he wanted her to listen to what yeah. the commanders were talking about with Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. he brought her in very deliberately so she could, like, get a sense of what's going on to, to plan her resistance. Mm-hmm. And also to give her a bit of a public humiliation Flogging. in front yeah. of all the fellas. Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. cover for the what he's actually trying to do, yeah. maybe. Which brings us to what did we learn? Mm-hmm. In, there is uh, lots going on in Chicago. There is a shipment of females coming. We do see mm-hmm. them in the cages. Mm-hmm. And he's agitating for them to be sent to the colonies where they can be put to work and the others are not having that. They don't see the point of that. I don't think they're as on board with Lawrence's policies as clearly he is. <laughs> um, he's arguing that we need the labour, but they want to... Just kill be, Yeah, mm. they want to string them up just to be seen, to be taking a hard line. So there's a bit of a political Ugh. Yeah, and they also there. make a comment about the colonies kind of being a, a bit of like terrorism, terrorism. or yeah. oh, resistance, right. you know. And there's a troop surge. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's all going on. And, yeah, they're, they're agitating for a salvaging. So. But we did see how much power Commander Lawrence has in that when he's when he's bored of a point, he just moves on and everyone moves on. Mm-hmm. He kind of seems to have the final say. So I'm trying to still get my head around who he actually is mm-hmm. and what he actually does. Well, well, those books that we see on the bookshelf shed a bit of light, the ones that he's written. And we know that he's the architect of the colonies mm-hmm. and that he yeah. is also the architect of Gilead's economy. Mm-hmm. And those books on the shelf are kind of all about, well, from the titles, I kind of got that they were all about the economic advantage yeah. of religion in American society in this like age of infertility, well, which all, yeah, was very... interesting to me because he doesn't strike me as a very religious man. No. And he yes. clearly sees economic profit and power in 
the religious infrastructure of Gilead. So he really has done this as like an intellectual exercise. Mm-hmm. Like he, he made a comment in the episode about how fascinating it is to to sort of create your own humanity, sort of a thing, mm-hmm. you know. And um, so yeah, you don't get the sense that he's religious and that he's doing this because he really believes in this new way of life, mm. more like he sees it as a whole experiment. Yeah, And he kind yeah. of reveals that when um, he has taken June to the cages to see all the women and choose her five, and she's like, no, I won't do it. And he says something like, morality, who chooses that anyways? And I was like, hang on, isn't that usually the justification for religion for <laughs> those who you know are religious? Like you need some sort of authority from outside that, you know, gives us morality. Without Mm. religion, we have no morality. There's nothing to define right or wrong. That's the justification for religion. So for him to say that, it was like, oh, okay, so you don't believe in the religious theocracy you've created, like the religious underpinnings of it anyways. So yeah, it must just be economics for him. It's it, funny, yeah, I think I, it is. He's like one of the books is the case for launching the mercantile economy in developing nations. That's right. <laughs> so his philosophy is like an Adam Smith mercantile where there's no imports. It's all building up the country, ideally for export, but also just for sustainability, like especially during wartime. So yeah. like a North Korea would be a mercantile economy or a, something that doesn't rely on other places in order to, to drive the, the domestic economy. And I think that's perhaps why this episode dealt so much with like questions of value and people's mm-hmm. value and function. Mm. Like he keeps saying to June, are you capable? Are you working hard? Yep. Can you make decisions and lead people? Like he's trying to mm. get at her worth and value. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, June takes that on board when she chooses her five people to yeah. actually save in the end. She chooses who can mm. be the most valuable mm-hmm. for this resistance. It's mm. all about value. Yeah, she sort of proves herself mm. useful to Lawrence at the end of the episode when she does choose the five women yeah. and sort of comes through with the goods. And it was um, a bit of a trolley dilemma he gave her, wasn't it? Do you guys know that dilemma? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was, but it was like an inverse. Instead of like one life to save five, it was like she had to choose five lives or like, you know, give away a hundred lives of women <laughs> to save five very specific lives who yeah. had the most value. That's yeah. funny because you could really like cut that a thousand ways, you know, if yeah. you had to choose your five. The options, the way that you could value that is like, do you save the elderly who wouldn't survive in the colonies or do you save the young who might be able to live so long that they might actually get out of Gilead one day or, you know, like... Or you choose a thief like she did. Yeah, yeah. choose the five that will help bring about the downfall of this hellhole. Yeah, I, like, I just love that. So, like, when she did it, she just chose her army. I'm like, yes. yes. So smart. And to recap, she chose someone who'd been an engineer, someone in IT, a journalist, a lawyer and a thief. So, I love it. I love the thief. I yeah. know. I know. I can't wait to meet drama. this thief. I think she could be a great character. I want to see where she Who is this light-fingered lady? Steal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, now, we've done a lot of talking about Lawrence. How about want to talk to him? We've yes. Got Bradley yes. Whitford on the line. Not right now. I did talk to him earlier in the year, so I should set this up. I don't know if I mentioned I went on the set, girls. <laughs> did you? <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> I did say I was going to be thoroughly objectionable yeah. about this. There were there were several of us asking the questions, so I'm paraphrasing other journalists' questions at sometimes. And Bradley Whitford was very generous with his answers. Mm. Here we go, Bradley Whitford. So an obvious place to start. What's the deal with Commander Lawrence? Well. <laughs> uh, there's a lot going on. Uh, I've gotten to play some really interesting characters over the years, but no experience has been like this guy. And and the reason is, is that I really don't know, I truly don't know where he is going to end up. 
personally, morally, I don't I don't know where he's going to end up. I feel like he is in play. I, I've always thought of this guy as kind of the United States, I think he was Secretary of Defense, uh, Robert McNamara, who sort of masterminded the war in Vietnam. And Robert McNamara was a very brilliant, decent, seemingly decent human being whose brilliant mind really overtook his humanity and ended up incinerating about two million human beings. And I feel like part of what is going on in Lawrence is, is that his massive intellectual uh, capacity overwhelmed his humanity. And I think that June is reminding him of his humanity and and showing the sort of full force of the, of the kind of horror that Gilead is inflicting on people, but he's also very defensive about it. I think he looks at Gilead as, you know, he understands that this is painful and repressive, but his ideas, which created Gilead, is like chemo. I, you know, the, he's saving the world, and he knows that he thinks he's saving the world, and he knows it's painful and horrific, but I think he really looks at it like, you know, we have a generation to save the world, and so he is simultaneous to awakening to the horrors that he's inflicted. I think he's also uh, finds himself defending it, and to him with good reason. So I, I honestly don't know where he's going to go, but it, he is just an absolutely fascinating uh, creature to me. So then I asked the next one, before joining the show, what was your attachment to The Handmaid's Tale? We are watching it, and also what's it like to come in midway through an established drama series? I do not watch a lot of shows. The last couple of years I've been busy watching this <laughs> national car wreck um, <laughs> but I was obsessed I, I had read this book when it came out in the 80s and the series you know walloped me with its sort of terrifying relevance to what is going on now and I immediately became obsessed with the show you know I think the show is one of the generational this is how I thought of it before I got to the end I think Lizzie is giving like the performance of a generation. I think the show is an incredible creative achievement in all aspects. I was obsessed with this show. And when the possibility, it was unreal to me that I would be able to be on it. And I said uh, to my fiance, who, who by the way is, is uh, Amy Landecker is playing uh, Mrs. McKenzie, she was as obsessed as I was. And the first day on the set, I said, I said to her, it's, you know, you walk in and you're doing a scene with Lizzie and she's wearing that costume. And I felt like I got a guest shot in Godfather 2. It was very, it was, it was really unreal. And I've been on a lot of sets. I, I, I don't get it, like intimidated, but man, on this, you just, you don't know how it's going to go. And I definitely felt 
invigorating splash pressure <laughs> just because I love the show so much. I think the show is so unfortunately relevant now because as it was in the 80s, you know, in the 80s, I think it was a little bit of a response to that wave of conservatism, of sort of Reagan conservatism. And now, of course, you know, Ronald Reagan looks like Abby Hoffman <laughs> compared to the conservatives in the United States now. And what the story gets to in the most fundamental way that really resonates with me is that misogyny is the reptilian brainstem of of the radical right. It is absolute it's not a bug, it is the feature, the fixation on controlling women's bodies and the fixation on uh, limiting their access to health care is absolutely fundamental. I think sometimes even more fundamental than racism. And I think that's the cultural gong <laughs> that that this show hits and, and I think that's why it's resonating because, you know, just yesterday they're trying to pass a bill to basically to defund Planned Parenthood. So this stuff is very, very real. And, you know, I think I've heard Bruce say this show is absolutely its depiction of horrific violence that happens to women. Bruce has not shied away from it because you know, in repressive regimes all over the world, in Saudi Arabia, women are being put to death all the time for having affairs and things like that. So I think it's it's even more than a cautionary tale. I think it's sort of holding a mirror up to uh, what is happening all over the place. And we, of course, know you from the West Wing, uh, which had a vastly different take on politics than The Handmaid's Tale, wherever possible. Can you understand what's happened to America since the days of the West Wing uh, that makes The Handmaid's Tale seem so prescient? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have some hope. I think the, what has happened in the United States is I honestly think on the left, I think the, the progressives uh, in the United States got lazy and took things for granted and felt like uh, issues of racism and homophobia and women's access to health care uh, didn't need to be defended anymore. It took a spray tan, you know, trust fund sociopath <laughs> to become president for us to realize that we can't take women's access to health care for granted. And I think the rise of the right, uh, the, the very irrational right in our country, is precisely because we were absolutely not there, but we were getting close on paper to the spectacular aspiration of this country, which is opportunity for all, and which is a kind of radical inclusion that even the founding fathers didn't understand <laughs> they, were, they were calling us to. And I think what happened on the right is it's basically, I'm hoping, the death throes of a bunch of control freaks losing control. 
So just tied into that, a question about misogyny and in the fact that Lawrence doesn't seem to be a misogynist in the same way that Fred is. So what do you think is Lawrence's background and how he how he's come to come to power within Gilead? Yeah, I think that Lawrence and, and again, it's not dissimilar to what has happened in the United States. I think that radical, uh, the radical religious right is a delivery system for a lot of conservatives. And, and I think they think that the religious right is kind of nuts, but it, it, it's a way to put your ideas into action. Given we've mentioned the West Wing and obviously Get Out, I wanted to know what level of importance that uh, you place on working on projects that have this political edge to them. Is it something that you seek out or is that what tends to come across your desk? Uh, when it, whenever I, I hear this, I always think of, I worked on a Clint Eastwood movie called A Perfect World, which it just won the Oscar for Unforgiven. And it, it was at the sort of peak of his resurgence and I was um, on the set and he's sitting there on a chair with his heart beating once every two minutes just calm and uh, and I had the New York Times and on the cover of the Arts and Leisure section it said uh, Clint Eastwood's Vision of America and I said, did you see this? And uh, he, 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 was, he read it and he was laughing. And he said, uh, it's so funny because, you know, uh, just a couple of years ago, I was working with an orangutan and now they think <laughs> I'm Gandhi. They think I'm Gandhi. Uh, and, you know, this show is a perfect example. Like West Wing and, uh, you know, and like Get Out. These were spectacular creative experiences. If anything, I'm actually leery of, and we were leery on the West Wing. Aaron was very nervous about us getting off mission and making the show about serving civic vegetables. Uh, (laughs) there, There was always the sense that the storytelling and the ability to keep the audience's attention had to supersede, you know, any cultural mission. That said, it's a very interesting thing because you would think that I would be somebody who believed that culture was the most important way to change the world. And actually, I don't believe that. I think that it's very helpful, but I think the reason that, at least in my country, that the right has been so successful is because they understand that government is the way you create your moral vision. Will and grace is great, but it won't help you if you don't have a law that creates marriage equality. Mm-hmm. It won't help you if you have a pre-existing condition. And we on the left seem to think that culture is the way you create your moral vision. On the right, they understand that it's government. So on the left, if we lose an election, we throw our hands up and we say the system's corrupt, I'm not going to participate, or we vote to express our political purity rather than pragmatically to win elections. And when the right loses an election, they start a think tank and run for the school board. Now, I think that's changing now, 
but it is an interesting dynamic in this country. That's so true and so depressing. And so in this episode we've just seen, episode three, we, of course, all see this map on the wall. And on the set visit, we were inside the commander's house and got a very close look at said map, which got us all wondering about the forces of resistance and control going on in this America versus Gilead. You know, I think he's still actively involved in sort of, you know, it was his economic ideas, uh, you know, which are sort of propping all of this up. So uh, it's, I'm, glad, I'm glad you noticed the map because uh, that was my, my our wonderful uh, set designer uh, asked me what I wanted. And I said, I want a map. <laughs> uh, of course. <laughs> I, 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 wa- I wanted it to look like, um, as opposed to the rest of the house, we wanted that office, uh, you know, the rest of the house is it, sort of an inversion of the Gilead. Mm. You know, Fred's office is very warm and, uh, and a place where he can relax. And I wanted it to be, you know, to look like, you know, a little bit of a Nazi war room. Mm. Um, mm. I don't think Fred is, you know, specific. I, I, I mean, I don't think Lawrence is specifically involved in military strategy, but I, I, I think it's, it's a constant state of crisis, which mm. he's monitoring. And another question, wondering if he could talk a bit about reuniting with Elizabeth Moss, given her role in the West Wing. What was that like being reunited on screen? Thank you for asking that. It is it is profoundly moving to me to be able to work with Elizabeth, who I met when she was, I believe, 17, um, and, you know, was this kid who was a terrific actor. And not only is she giving an incredible performance, what she has to do, it's like Sophie's Choice, the TV show. I mean, it's, it's relentless agony and pressure that this character is under. And she is not only, I, I, I mean, acting that, most people would be very grumpy pain in the ass <laughs> if they had to put themselves through that. Not only is she doing that, she is actively producing this. She is involved in all script discussions. She is involved in all shot decisions. She is involved in every aspect of this. And she is an utterly kind delight. On top of that, I, who have gotten to act with some fascinating people, there's nothing more interesting I've ever done than doing these scenes with, with her. Um, I call my fiance afterwards and after everyone is just like, it was such a joy because I don't know where she's going to go. And we both, we were joking about it after the last thing we shot. Like we can't like articulate it, but when it gets weird (laughs) between us, we know we've got it. And it never is a straight ahead interpretation of the writing. There's always something going on. The most striking thing to me that I didn't expect with this character is when Lizzie, the way she sort of comes at me in these, in, in these scenes, it's so moving to me. 
that this guy who was so wrapped up in his ideas and so isolated, you know, from his own humanity, and suddenly here is this woman who knows him, who who sees sees where he is and and understands him. So there are these waves of emotional undercurrent. I, I, I can't say enough kind things about her. I, I, I don't understand how she does it. <laughs> Thank you. So there you have it. Uh, Bradley Whitford, who plays Commander Lawrence. Uh, it was great to have such insights into this uh, complicated character and uh, a bit of a thrill to be on set and looking inside that house and at that map. I do love that he is now starring in a show again with Elizabeth Moss yeah. after The West Wing. But it's funny because seeing him here in The Handmaid's Tale, I sort of can't drop that. I keep like seeing him as that character until this episode. <laughs> he is finally, we've finally seen enough of him and he's finally just been creepy enough and I just can't get a handle on him that I don't see Josh anymore. Yeah, that's good. He's <laughs> well, <is it> good? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, it is, no, it's, it's, like, it's great. He's clearly a great actor. <laughs> this was a great episode for his character development because I kind of feel like we know how to read him much better after this episode too. They've definitely been keeping him at a distance. Well, yeah. like they what, still um, are. But. I like what Fred's take was because, like he said, that he just doesn't yeah. like to be bored. It's mm-hmm. so true. All of the, His delivery of all of his lines is so like, oh, I'm bored with this. Yeah. <laughs> and it's almost like he's kind of dabbling in the resistance is the same is the same thing. Like yeah. he's created yeah. this system, and now he's just toying with it to see how far that's, it oh my can God, go. That's it can so get right. pushed. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love that scene where he where she starts it by saying, "I don't know you very well," and then he tells her a whole lot about himself that mm-hmm. is not great stuff. Basically, that he he lets the resistance happen a little bit in yeah. the house just to let the girls let off steam, yeah. so that they don't do a, anything too big. They feel like they're getting stuff done, but eh. he's 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 pulling the levers. He's controlling oh, it all. Yeah, puppet master. It's, a tad depressing and he reveals some things about Emily in that he bonded with her or he saw potential in her mm. for she could contribute to the world one day so I let her get out and she to was smart only, to let me. The only thing he values is intellect. Absolutely. And I do love that June wasn't afraid to bite back mm. when he when he had a big go at her for yeah. like what is the point of her anyway and her crappy career and what value did she actually bring and she just turned the tables on him. You know what? I get it. I get why you would do this. I suppose you would hole yourself up in a house like this, playing games with people's heads, doing a good deed or two every once in a while so that you can fucking sleep at night. Brilliant. It was just so great to watch because he's been so kind of scary the whole episode. And you think, oh, you probably should just get out of that room now and yeah. save your skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he doesn't like to be bored and he likes people who are smart. Yeah. So it was probably actually the best thing she could have done. Yeah, he I likes th- the push and pull. I think mm. it shows the weakness as well that he called her out as a book editor. Like, you know, he's a writer, she's an editor. So yeah. <laughs> like, she couldn't change his words back in the day. He probably had some encounters with exactly. editors. So it was <laughs> sort of nice with their editors. It's like a love-hate relationship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Speaking as an editor. <laughs> but, um, no, I thought that was nice that they're, yeah. they've got this little dance between them. That was an amazing scene. Like, like I love that so much. Like, the drama in it, the pauses that they take, the way that they're sizing each other up. Um, mm. Is that when he says to her, you really screwed up the Waterford household? Yes. Yeah. Speaking of the Waterfords, you really mucked up that house, didn't you? And Fred demoted, Serena defingered, baby, baby napped. You left the place literally in ashes. 
was I thought yeah. that was a really funny line. <laughs> it was a pretty and it funny was so recap. true. She really stirred shit up over that <laughs> over at that house. And yet he still invited her into <laughs> his house. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a compliment though, you know. He was complimenting <laughs> her on on having yeah. achieved that in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Mind you, she didn't actually. Technically, she did not light that match in the Waterford household. Well, that's She metaphorically that's did, but not, not, yeah. she didn't strike it up. And it was interesting, that was in his office where the map is on the wall. Oh, um, yeah. She's looking at that as this all happens. So, you know, strategy is well with it, well, you know, mm-hmm. is being revealed very much in, in that scene when they're having this dance between the pair of them. I love the world building of that yeah. map. I, as we record this episode... Hulu have just recently re- released a map of Gilead. I saw that. Mm-hmm. You guys seen that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and really interesting and enlightening because I think it's the first map we've seen in detail, mm-hmm. and it seems to be the same map hand drawn in Lawrence's office that June's looking at, and it, it shows the areas of resistance in the Gilead Empire, and it shows that the stronghold of Gilead is actually very small, and the the resistance yeah. is actually growing because mm-hmm. there's there's a reference back in last season to California still being under Gilead. But in this map, I noticed that it's all rebellion. It's all mm-hmm. like a, a rebellious area Rebel now. Rebel occupied so area. That's Rebel right. occupied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this sense that um, Gilead's a lot weaker than we've been led to believe. Yeah. Well, we've, we've seen what June has seen to date. You know, it's sort of it's it's been the world, and we just think, oh my god, all of America's gone like this. Until we get updates mm. from people like Oprah, who <laughs> give us a little insight into what's <laughs> yeah, going on exactly. elsewhere. But yeah, no, I think this season we're actually branching out a little bit more, and the blinkers are coming off a little bit to see the world. Yeah, mm. yeah. And June is seeing that map there yeah, potentially absolutely. for the yeah. first time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And therefore, we are too. In parallel to all the goings on at Lawrence's house this episode, Serena is not coping very well with. Well, all of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the loss of the finger, the loss of the baby. She's now lost a house. Mm. The handmaid with which she has this love-hate relationship yes, has yeah. gone. She can't confide in her. Yeah. So she turns to her mum. Fat little good that does. Yeah. Not- Had we met her, but I, I was really no. surprised when her mum appeared. I was like, no. whoa, she's got a mother that exists. Yeah. No one has a biological mother in Gilead. I think it was in season one she actually went off for a visit for a weekend, which is when Fred took June ah, to the Jezebels. That's right. That might have been season two, actually. Mm. Yeah. Um, so we have heard of her before, so mm. we knew that she existed. Right. Okay. But it's the first time we have seen her. And I always love this. I always yeah. love it when they take like a diabolical character <laughs> and then you actually get to see where they came yeah. from and you go, oh, this explains everything. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. I have that exact feeling. That's so true. Yeah, was, she was not nice or warm there, or anything. No, it's... there was not an ounce of sympathy or love or care. She knew what Serena wanted and ignored all of it. And, and told her to a... go back to her abusive husband. Like. Yeah. Hallmark of a horrible what? mother. But you could read maybe messages in that of like stay in your lane and maybe it can work out for you. I don't know. I was looking at it optimistically. Yes, her mm. mum was not a warm. You for sure not yeah. warm. <laughs> <laughs> I was, yeah, just in the way it framed the end of this. It's one of those things. There. Her mother wasn't nice, but she wasn't necessarily wrong. Yes. Either. Well, that's, yeah. And she yeah. did say there's no world for you without Fred. Yeah, exactly. Which is so bleak. But totally. like, you know, this is the situation we found ourselves in. Mm-hmm. There isn't. What, what, who is Serena without? Well, because Fred. we saw that last year when Fred was in hospital and very quickly another senior executive in Gilead was sort of coming around the house and sort of sussing out Serena because clearly they thought that Fred might not make it. So she was already being eyed off to be Ugh. like the next wife to somebody else. Yeah. And I remember like, Juna at that point was like, you need to save this shit show right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it's funny that after seeing her mother, who gives her pretty much nothing. Mm. Um, well, she, she tells everyone what's going on. She's, oh, that's true. She yeah, does she, do that. She, she's she a great reveals... conversationalist, quote unquote. Yeah, what she's... was that one about? Because she, 
because Serena described her mother as a great conversationalist yeah. and her mother describes Serena as a great conversationalist and that's why you need to yeah. come down and meet everyone. I was like... Well, I think when Serena say. says it about her mum, it's because she's telling everyone everything. Right. Like, okay. I mean, she can't give her mouth shut. <laughs> and I like the visual when Serena sits down and they're praying for her, but by the end of it we have an external... And she looks trapped because by we, that. Because we hadn't circle. had a ritual for a while. Yeah. It's like, ah, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. I think Gilead always has to have a ritual. And so this is the first one we've seen of this season, I think. Yeah, yeah I was having withdrawal from not seeing people standing in circles. <laughs> yeah. For a few episodes. Yeah, so <laughs> take that, that one off the bingo card. And like everything they were praying for was exactly what she doesn't want. Exactly. The return mm. of the baby. She doesn't want the baby to come back. Yeah. She's <laughs> man at the head of the house. And yeah. 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 No, no. Quick aside, her mum is played by Layla Robbins. Look at you. All the gifts you've been given. But you need everything to be exactly how you want. Spoiled little girl. I knew her face. I couldn't place it, but Mm. uh, she's in Planes, Trains and Automobiles. She's Steve Martin's wife. (laughs) So she's the sort of personification of the home fires burning for this travelling salesman Mm. having their horrible time. So she's the warm, loving wife that he comes home to. So I can't believe you remembered that. I knew her face. So, yeah, I just looked it up. Yes, it is (laughs) Lady Robbins, which I thought was nice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) In Gilead World... Home fires aren't yeah, burning all that no. happily. Although there's plenty of fires in the homes and every shot, as you mentioned, Haiti. <laughs> so I think it was like quite funny after she was getting pretty much no love or support from her mother. Who did she quickly run to? June. June. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Walked yeah. past Fred and went straight to June. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, after that mum's pep talk, yeah, she's hot-footed over to June. And they have a bonding session talking about Nicole mm-hmm. in the same way June did with Mrs McKenzie last That's week true. where they're sharing observations about Hannah. So mm. this one felt more orchestrated. It feels to me like they're delving into what is a mother and yeah. who was a mother and what does it take. And Lawrence was sort of twisting her mind when he was saying that Hannah already has a loving mother, so what does she need you for? Whereas June was giving Serena a great kindness when, like, Serena actually said, I'm not her mother. And mm. that's a massive turnaround for Serena because mm. last year she was very much, this is this is my baby. And her mm. mother said her that mom. as well. Her mum was like, it wasn't even your baby. <laughs> that was, <laughs> I know. Thanks, mum. Whereas, like, June actually said only oh, a mother could have done do what anything. you did. And I was like... She's still being so kind. <laughs> but she's also being strategic. Absolutely. That's right. She's yeah, she's being very yeah. strategic in she building her allies. Her. Oh, <laughs> we're talking about mums and Hi, babies. Greta. I think that was nice. <laughs> Greta to pipe up there. Um, it's, it's true. I think you do see June go in for that tactic. And I think in this episode you do see June laid bare. Like she, she is transactional. Lawrence calls it out. 100%. She has yeah. to be. Like you would, everyone would be if you could. Mm-hmm. And... There's a kind of a performative element to her attempts to confide in people and build her confidence com- that we're seeing more than usual. But she also she just makes lays it. She makes that comment about having to compose yeah, herself. Yes, exactly. Very much. Yeah. yeah, I think what I like about June is that she always kind of like, she actually shows her cards as well. So it wasn't like she was fake nice to Serena the whole time. Mm. At some point she does turn and says to her that you need to be doing this, you know? <laughs> yeah. She they says hate that us. to Fred too. She's like, you need to tell me, you know, what do I need to know about Lawrence to survive this? Yes. Yeah. She's you, yeah. showing her cards as well as playing them. Yes, absolutely. And also she thanks him for keeping her alive because that's no small point. <laughs> yes. it's, uh, also strategic to keep him on side. Very much yes. so. But, but like the way like... that she said it was so gross, like... I will always be grateful. <laughs> it's so true. And I was like, oh. good yeah, yeah. Good point. <laughs> mm, creepily made. But uh, mm. yeah, it, Aunt Lydia said last week, you know, she 
have her up on the wall for mm. just going to see her daughter, let alone all the other shit she's pulled in this place. <laughs> um, but also we mentioned Fred, the scene literally after Serena's trapped in that prayer circle, we see Fred mm. saying, you know, quite a nice <laughs> observation of <laughs> wanting his wife and, you know, yeah. feeling jo- joy at her coming home and, you know, the, the excitement of people knowing she's his wife, yeah. etc. Could be a great speech. Just not delivered to her. <laughs> Slow it's reveal to someone else. Yeah, but I, the, at that Jezebel's. Thing, was it at the Jezebel's? It has, it has yeah. to be. Because yeah. I was like, yeah, that lighting looks rather smutty. There's something yeah. going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The lighting even looks the it. red. Yeah, the red. The purpley red. Yeah. yeah, And like you mentioned that, like last time she went to see a mum, he went to Jezebel's. I guess <gasps> this time again, she's one of the same. Oh mom, my so god, Fred, oh this, god. Is his, <laughs> this is his special time. <laughs> so predictable. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh, um, so gross. Yeah, and then it goes to uh, June talking about composing herself and, and she's obviously practising how to ingratiate herself with Lawrence. Yeah. So, yeah, we've just seen Fred see how to ingratiate himself again mm-hmm. with Serena. <laughs> Will it work, though? Will it work? <laughs> well, the marriage was always awful. And um, do you remember that flashback scene that we had? Remember when Fred actually killed a woman? Do you remember that in like a, in like a forest or something? Oh, that's right. <laughs> to he, prove his like manliness to her, because she yeah. was telling him to buck up and like stop yes. being such a baby and crying after she had been shot mm-hmm. at that university talk. Do yeah, you remember, I remember when she got shot? When did he kill someone? Because he went to her vulnerable and wanting emotional yeah. support, and she just basically turned around and said to him, "You know, but, yeah, man up, yeah, man, yeah, man up." up. I think she said. And so yeah. then, so then he went and killed her. Killed yeah, he woman. killed someone. Yeah, like one of the young students who were involved in uh, organizing okay. that shooting. I think right. it was a guy, a young guy. And so, and so now I can see strong shades of her mother in that because Serena yes. goes to her mother, vulnerable, <laughs> wants support, and her mother just basically says, "Woman up." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, a lot of tough love going in- around. <laughs> intergenerational trauma and interrelationshipinal trauma. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a word. <laughs> and. I'm going to look at you here, Sana, <gasps> yeah. Nick, June and Nick. We get a little time. They uh, close we the door, do. shall we say? We don't, we don't get to be privy to what happens after <laughs> they close the door, but that's okay. We can imagine. But I have to say, in that scene when um, she enters the living room where all the commanders are meeting and we see Nick there, mm-hmm. I totally did not hear a word that they said for the rest of that meeting. I was just oh, like, no. oh, my God, Nick, Nick, oh, my God. Me too. I had to actually, like, go back and rewatch that Me to, too. like, listen to the Chicago stuff because I was like, that's probably actually more important than my, like, you know, freaking out about Nick. But it was actually it was actually very Jane Austen to me. That oh. sort of, he was very Darcy-like, standing, oh. like, really, really straight-backed, up against a wall, and kind of, like, expressionless face. Yeah, and, but they have all these glances across a room, which all mean so much. It was, you <laughs> He's know, very stoic, yeah, isn't he? He's, that's that's one word is. for it. It's, it's, it's very <laughs> monosyllabic. I, I Beautiful. <laughs> sure, sure. No, I love it when he's at the door. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> it worked on me, okay? Yeah. That's all I can say. Again, yeah. <laughs> um, so good. Yes, and then she's trying to pump him for information about Lawrence. And he knows nothing. Yes, mm-hmm. and then she sends him on his way but and calls him back in. Which is great. Okay, there's something here that I want to talk about mm. because I need um, Haiti probably your insight because after you said the fires thing earlier, I'm like, you might know what's going on here, which is the hands. Mm-hmm. There was so much focus on Dragging hands. hands along Benches and tables yeah. and, and tables. Touching, yeah. touching wood, touching yeah. hands. Yep. Well, and Serena's lost finger. We're looking at her hand a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, in that scene where Nick and June meet up again, it's their hands from other sides mm-hmm. of the wall oh, which touching, come again. Yeah, yeah there was yeah. just like, what does right. this mean? Well, I think that she's looking for allies here and, I mean, like, looking for a hand, really. <laughs> 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 but, like, when she was talking to Fred, 
she was like dragging Drifting her hand the across the That's table. That's right. I remember that. I, um, and I remember thinking mm, there was, you know, quite a few shots like that. And when she leaves the the meeting and she's really fuming, she sort of drags her hand along the table That's past right. like the knives and all the yeah, things yeah. she could pick up. And, yeah. Yeah. I like that. And she's touching the fireplace, I think it is, when she's going around to, she's got a visitor, she doesn't know who it is. And it turns out it's Serena. Yeah. She um, grasps at the, yeah. the wooden frame or something. And of course, Serena is trapped in the prayer circle because everyone's holding their hands. But also Rita crafts a very nicely um, handmade... Yeah, I was like, mm-hmm. where did uh, she get those gl- skills from? What would you call it? Not a glove, just a replacement kind of finger. Like, yeah. Or, you know, just to... A sh- cover. To, yeah, yeah, cover, which then gets discarded. So Serena mm. realises, no, I'm just going to bear my scars. What was the line that Rita said to Serena when she gave her the little finger glove? You will get through this, ma'am, by his hand. And then Serena says, what's, what's left, left of it? it? Yes. I think that's another reference. Yes. But back on Nick, I think that glance that Commander Lawrence had between them when he when he saw the reaction between June and Nick, he's going to use that somehow, right? Mm-hmm. You know? So Nick says that he's going off to the front now. And I'm like, are you really, though? I feel like something is going to happen. I don't think you're leaving the series, you mm. know? And clearly you're going to be useful because now you know there's sort of a love triangle happening in that house with Nick has a relationship now with two women in that house. Mm. Commander Lawrence doesn't like to be bored. <laughs> so I wonder if he's going to find some way to bring Nick back into the mix. Or are we going to Chicago? Yeah. That's what mm. I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. I think when people go places, there's going to be a time we're going to follow. Oh, yeah. yeah I do think if all this talk of Chicago and all this insurrection, yeah, I want to get a look at that myself. Well, we know they go to Washington, D.C. because we've yes. seen that in the mm. previews. So maybe Chicago as well. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> One thing this show does really well and did particularly well last season where it really aligned with world events all too eerily in the week of broadcast, this Week we do get a lot of real world connections. You know, we do see the people in the cages. It's, that's obviously mm. a nod to the visuals of people in cages in America to mm-hmm. do with uh, immigration laws. And there's obviously the throwaway binders full of women reference. Yeah. yeah, nice little nod to Mitt Romney. But also with the ending and that uh, closing monologue about choice. And when June, you know, evokes the memory of her mother, and the closing monologue is directed to her and mum, wherever you may be. She's telling her, kind of keeping her up to date with what's going on. But all this talk of choice, and I thought it was particularly timely mm-hmm. right now with, uh, you know, mm-hmm. American states, Georgia and Alabama, eradicating choice, yeah, yes, taking the, choice completely like, away. For The Handmaid's Tale, which was pushed back this year, for it to come back now in June, right as there's this massive conversation happening about women's rights being eroded in various states. Yeah. Like the timing is amazing. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. It's Mind you, I mean, it's kind of written in the wind with, with sort of the <laughs> yeah. Supreme Court appointments. So it wasn't entirely yeah. to be unexpected, but it, it just the timing right now with, with these mm-hmm. particular states having passed those laws. Yeah, interesting timing. And then, of course, we end with that part of that closing monologue is the, the brilliant flipping of the first monologue about men being watched, yes. then we flip it to now. It's We're going to watch them. We're going to watch them and it's the being watched turns into a bit of stalking, stalking your prey. <laughs> Love it. Yep. Here for it. And with a bit of practice, that's what we'll become. Nightmares. One day, when we're ready, Not real. we're coming for you. Not real. Just wait. 
So, time to speculate. Oh what do we think we're going to see next or what do you want to see next in the next episode? Sana. Serena and June coming closer together and joining forces and stirring things up a bit more. Okay. And Natalie, what about you? I would love to see that. I just don't know <laughs> if we're going to see it just yet. I think that those five women are going to be saved, so I'm hoping that we get introduced uh, yes. to the thief who I already love. <laughs> yeah, that's true, <laughs> yes. And so I have a feeling there's going to be another, like, supermarket scene for sure, right? Because mm. we didn't see her other handmade friend, friend or not friend, who I feel we'll see again. But we didn't see Luke or Moira this episode or Emily, so maybe we'll flash back to them yep. next week. Fingers crossed. Yep. And Heidi, what about you? I too am interested to see where Serena goes after storming off that beach um, past Fred because <laughs> she looks like she's on a mission now and I really want to see where that gets directed. And, yeah, I'm also interested to see the Emily storyline picked up again because we were really left hanging there with that phone call at the end of episode two. So I want to see where that goes. Yeah, same. All right. Well, I'm not going to speculate. And um, (laughs) (laughs) No, I think you've all covered it. Yeah, I'd love to see some more Canada. And, and, I mean, I want to see Chicago. I don't know if we'll get there yet, but I do think we're going to have to see what actually does it look like there because we haven't really seen a war zone yet. I think it's going to be a bit like that. So maybe next week June has to start building her army. And maybe we need another shot of Lydia. (laughs) We need a bit of a dose of Lydia again, I think. With that cattle prod. Yes. All right. Well, thanks for listening. These are our thoughts about the episode, but we love hearing your thoughts about The Handmaid's Tale and speculation and whatnot and also calling us out on if hypothetically we were to ever get something wrong. Um, (laughs) So, uh, yeah, feel free to leave feedback and give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts from. We'd love to see that. And reach out on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at anythingbutfifi. Sana, where can we find you? At Sana underscore Kadar. Natalie? I'm at Natalie Hambly. Heidi. I'm at Heidi Island. And if you do reach out to any of us, use the hashtag Eyes on Gilead. We'd like to have a look at that. And if you're looking for other podcasts to listen to, you should subscribe to The Few Who Do. Presented by Jan Fran and Mark Fennell, The Few Who Do tackles the big questions in society and culture today. And because there's often more than one approach to the biggest problems, Mark and Jan identify two possibilities and get to know the people behind these ideas. A special episode this week explores unique ways to confront the national emergency of violence against women. Mark and Jan meet someone who used a personal tragedy to co-found an organisation that supports women in violent relationships by providing them with the economic freedom to leave and someone else who developed an app that documents the incidences of sexual harassment and assault in public spaces, a kind of a Google Maps for street harassment. The Few Who Do is available wherever you get your podcasts. So we will be back with a new episode of Eyes on Gilead when the next episodes screen on SBS and at SBS On Demand every Thursday. And in the meantime, if you haven't watched Series 2 or you want to go back and rewatch it because uh, you're remembering things, you can go do that. There is a box set available at SBS On Demand right now, but it won't be up there for long, so you better get into it. <laughs> Good luck binging it. Eyes on Gilead is produced by me, Fiona Williams, and edited and mixed by Jeremy Wilmot. You don't own me, I'm not your property, so take your dirty That sounds good. Would you like to run through it again? Until next time, don't let the bastards grind you down.